Hi everyone, my name is Paula Quincy. I am a growth mindset catalyst and I work with individuals and organizations to create an environment where human skills is at the center of everything that you do. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoussos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode, and I have a wonderful guest with me. Her name is Paula Quincy, and she's a growth mindset catalyst, specializing in creating healthy relationships at home and in the workplace to co-create a more human-connected world and positively impact people's lives. Paula is also a passionate advocate for mental health and gender-based, an international and TEDx speaker and author of two self-help guides, Embracing Conflict and Embracing No. Paula, a big welcome to you. Thank you, Dennis. So awesome to be here. Great. Which part of the world are you in today? I am in sunny South Africa, although it's uh, we're heading out of our winter into spring right now, so it's not as sunny as it usually is in summer. <laughs> yeah, so very much so here in New Zealand as well. We, we're doing the exact same thing too, right? So um, absolutely. So given the brief introduction to you, to our listeners on the show here, tell us a little bit more about your background. So in my previous lifetime, as I like to call it, I had a corporate background. I worked in corporate for over 16 years, originally in a marketing and advertising role. That's what I originally studied. But through my own personal journey, I got into coaching and facilitating and training. Very passionate about human behavior and people development. So that's the space I like to play in, as I call it. And it really is around me seeing myself as a catalyst. In other words, holding that space for people, whether it's individuals or teams within organizations, to shift and grow in their journey. And so hence, seeing myself as a growth mindset catalyst. And as you mentioned, also a passionate advocate for mental health and and wellness, which is very topical, and also gender-based violence. Okay. Oh, wow. What a what a background. And thanks for sharing. So tell me, when did you sort of go into the coaching facilitation and that in your own business? How long ago was that? So I started off doing it part-time initially in 2009. I trained up it as a Imago relationship therapy facilitator and educator 
which is primarily working with couples around relationships and relationship dynamics. And then over the years, did additional training. So I'm an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Practitioner Life Coach. I'm also a, a PDA analyst, trainer and facilitator, so behavior profiling. And I was doing it in the evenings and the part-time with the view that you know, one day I would I would do this as my second career when I got tired of being in the corporate world. But as the universe works, when you keep putting something out there, it keeps throwing it in your path, I think, to test how, how badly you want it or how serious you are about it. So I left corporate in 2014 to go into doing this work full time. Yeah, it's interesting how you talk about maybe tired of that corporate world. And I think what we're seeing at the moment as well for a lot of people around the lockdowns and so forth People are physically, mentally, and emotionally tired. And and what was the transition like for you going from that corporate side into your own business? What was it like for you? I initially struggled. I will be completely honest. I, you know, going for a coffee meeting with a potential client or prospect or colleague that I was, you know, wanting to build a network with, I felt guilty because I wasn't working. I wasn't at the office. I wasn't at my desk, you know, that sort of corporate mentality that you have to be in the office and you have to be at at your desk to be productive. Not realizing that building relationships is part of being productive. You know, it's part of the journey. So I did struggle initially, but it did. being in corporate also taught me things around being disciplined, you know, particularly in terms of a morning routine and setting yourself up for your day in terms of a, a positive frame of mind and having that hard start and hard stop to the end of your day, which I think a lot of people now are struggling with, especially working from home, because it's so easy for those personal and work hours to be blurred. Mm. That transition between going to work and coming home from work is no longer there for sure. And, and yeah, it is quite interesting how that transition between going from a corporate role into your own business is totally different for sure. You mentioned before a couple of things, which I'm going to, we're going to probably, one of them is going to be around the mental health. And we'll talk more about that as we go through our different questions today. But you also talked about holding the space to shift and grow. What do we mean by that? So when I work with a team or individuals, it's first of all getting a perspective of where are they at right now and what is going on for them and where do they want to go to? And then how do we map Mm. out a path that helps them get from point A to point B? A lot of it is to do with support. A lot of it is to do with being a sounding board and also providing practical tools and strategies that I have gained through my professional training, but also that I have applied through my own personal experience that's helped me in my own journey and and providing those those insights to the people that I'm working with to help them shift and grow. Oh, great. Yeah, very good. And uh, quite an interesting skill set to have there as well, but also great for people to learn how to shift and grow and move forward into different areas they want to as well. So here's a question for you. How did you get into leadership? So I'm of the view that you don't need a fancy job title to be a leader. Mm. And I read an awesome book, which I highly recommend. It was Robin Sharma, who he originally wrote the book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. But they don't talk about his other book, which is The Leader Who Had No Title. Mm. And was one of the best books that I read because it really gave me insights into, and that's part of the work that I do, that before you can lead in the home and before you can lead in the workplace, you have to be able to lead yourself. And so leadership for me is being able to be proactive, take initiative, constantly adapt yourself to an ever-changing landscape 
and have a positive impact on the people around you in the process and also have an open mindset to learning and growing as well. Yeah, well, I mean, what an interesting book, right? I'm really, really cool too. I'm glad you brought this up because in relation to the leader who had no title, even some leaders or managers, as I call them, who do have a title, they're not very good at leadership. They don't come across as good leaders. And so, and I know you just mentioned before something which was really quite interesting around how you lead at home and how you lead in the workplace. But first of all, you need to lead yourself. And I think, you know, I've talked in other episodes too before about this as well, but there is no religion, no sporting team, no political party in the world everyone agrees on. But there's one thing that all airlines agree on. Put that mask on first before you help anyone else. And it's going back to exactly what you just said there, right? So you've got to look after yourself, be the best you can be, lead yourself, then you can lead other people. Absolutely. And I think it's also, and, and I say this respectfully, but I think over the years from a society and a corporate sector, we, we've made leadership out to be this huge, great thing, this this fancy mm. title. And yes, it comes with wonderful perks and benefits. And if you're lucky, you have a fancy corner office. Well, that was pre-COVID times, right? <laughs> but if you really look at it, what leadership really is about, it's about working with people, leading people, managing people and inspiring people. Mm, mm, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with having a corner office at home, isn't there? I mean, yeah, they'd be yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very good. Hey, Paula, the question I've got for you here in relation to leadership, and it's your favorite leader. Now, this person can be from alive, can be alive, or can be from history. But who's your favorite leader, and why? You know, I have to say, and I know some people, it's it's a bit cliched, but I have to say Richard Branson. And why I look up to him as a leader is, first of all. I think he still keeps his true essence in terms of being a family man, being family orientated, and his family is always a priority despite the businesses that he's involved in. Second of all, from a business point of view, he stays the same. He remains true to his value system, and it's about creating a healthy environment for his people to grow. He was one of the very first leaders a couple of years ago that introduced unlimited leave for his employees. And everybody thought, oh, you know, employees, they're now going to take advantage of this benefit and they're never going to be at work. And in fact, when they went back about six months later and interviewed those employees, all of them said, Hmm. we feel like we are being treated like adults. We're feeling like we are in control of making our own decisions and what works for us and managing our time instead of being managed. And I thought that was awesome because when you treat people with respect, when you treat people in a positive way and as adults, they will do the same in return. And what they found is people were actually taking less leave than before. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So they're taking less leave than they were before because there was unlimited leave. Yeah, and they felt I could manage my time because I know what's on my schedule, I know what I need to deliver, and I have the freedom of choice to be able to manage my time. Yeah, okay, good. Good to know. Tell me something. The show here is called Leadership is Changing. Based on what you just shared before about Richard Branson and having a healthy kind of business and around his values and so forth, leadership is changing. We're seeing a lot in the world happening for sure. And that's the name of the show. When I talk about leadership is changing, what, what does that mean for you? I think right now what we're seeing in COVID times is leadership skills have changed. And if leaders aren't up, upskilling themselves with what I call human skills, it's often referred to as soft skills in the corporate workplace. But leaders right now need to be holistic and empathetic. First of all, empathetic because 
they're now seeing what their employees are dealing with because they're managing their employees in their homes, in their personal sacred space. Before we used to go home to get away from the office and leave it all behind us. And now we can't because it's in our homes. And we're seeing our employees for the human beings that we are, not just the nine to five version that we used to see when they were in the office. And also holistically, because we're now seeing people as mothers and fathers and juggling those family roles and responsibilities, we're seeing the whole person, not just the corporate version of the person. And to be empathetic about what each person is going through and struggling and dealing with at a human level, because we've realized with COVID that importance and the value of human connection and human relationships. Hmm. Paula, when you talk about that, I mean, it's quite interesting how we, you know, I remember years ago, well, maybe not so many years ago, we had the guy on being interviewed by either BBC or CNN, and then his kids come flying in and he's trying to push the kids out of the way. And I don't know if you remember the interview, but, you know, nowadays people don't really care about that, right? I mean, because we're in the COVID scenario and you're right that we are in their personal space now, which is quite interesting. Are you finding that people that you're talking to at the moment, and if we start talking about mental health and so forth, how are people going from a mental health perspective? What, what What's going on for them? People are struggling. We're definitely seeing it in terms of the stats, the mental health stats that have spiked not only locally here in South Africa, but internationally, globally as well. And I think the longer we go into various forms of lockdown, the novelty is wearing off. In the beginning, it was, oh, yeah, what I've always wanted is to work from home. And that was great for a while, but the novelty is now wearing off as we realize that, well, a lot of people are experiencing that isolation, that disconnection. From a leadership point of view, we've seen two styles of leadership. Those that have now sort of resorted to micromanaging because they don't know how to manage in an online virtual world. I've heard stories of the exact opposite where, well, I never hear from my boss or my manager unless I reach out to them. So I feel like in this black hole and I've got to fend for myself. And then there are some companies out there that have been so proactive around providing mental health support systems and support structures for their employees because they've realized that the next big pandemic that we're not talking about is burnout. Mm. Oh, wow. The next big pandemic is going to be burnout. And that is so true because we are seeing that. And, and burnout, maybe when we say burnout, can, can you help our listeners understand what we mean by burnout? Can you give us a little bit of a, an explanation there? Absolutely. So some of the triggers of burnout is working long hours. So where your personal hours and your work hours are blurred, because it's so easy for us now to walk from the kitchen or the bedroom or the dining room to wherever our workspace or workstation is, because some of us may not have the luxury of having a separate office. And so it's easier to, you know, just walk down the path, the you know, the corridor to, to that space. But in the evenings, it's also easy to get into that habit of, uh, let me just finish this email. Let me just finish this proposal. Let me just finish this document. And three, four hours later, you're still working. And also these back-to-back -back Zoom meetings, so death by Zoom as opposed to death by PowerPoint, <laughs> we're, not, yeah. we're not having those breaks in between the back-to-back -back meetings that we used to have in the office when we would get up and walk from one meeting room to the next. And our, our brains are not wired to be online all the time. It's, the, the, it's being termed the popcorn brain. 
because there's so many distractions on the screen with people that we're talking to in terms of Zoom meetings or Microsoft Teams or whichever platform you're using, plus all the notifications popping up with emails or this or that. Then also on our devices as well, because our devices are connected. So we've got those distractions happening. And then we've got distractions around us, whether it's the dogs barking or your kids or the neighbors next door, whatever it might be. So there's so much distraction. And this is what is contributing to mental fatigue, digital fatigue, and burnout as well. Uh, amazing. I mean, I, as you were going through about that popcorn brain scenario and just talking through it, my heart rate started to lift, started to race. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's how we're living every day, right? We are always on. And I think what you've just said there about the next big pandemic is burnout. And team, listeners, you know what? Burnout will actually creep up behind you and smack you from behind. You won't even know and understand. And there is that fine line, but it takes, well, I'm going to actually ask you, Paula, how long does it take for people to come back from burnout? Oh, sure. It depends on the severity of the burnout and also obviously the individual because we all cope differently in terms of our resilience levels. Mm -hmm. So it also depends on what kind of support you have in place to help you through burnout. But on average, you're probably looking at around three to six months minimum. Minimum. Wow, that's huge. So team listeners, it can actually happen to you quietly and then it happens, but it can take you from what Paul is saying. And I also know from others that I've spoken to too, it does take some time, three, six months minimum. And for some people, it can take a year. And for some people that don't come back to the workplace, they may go off to do something else because it's been really, really quite big. But I, I, I just think that what you said there, Paula, about the next big pandemic is, burn, is burnout because we talk about pandemic, but I actually think there's going to be pandemics. And as a result of this, we, we are already seeing here in this country and other countries where there is burnout. But the suicide rates are going up as well. Are you seeing that as well? Definitely. We had stats released here in our country a couple of months ago, and the suicide rate in men is higher than women. One in four men is susceptible to suicide, and that's because of the stereotyping and the societal conditioning around men not being weak, not showing emotion, not speaking up and speaking out and getting help. And that is one thing that is not being spoken about openly in mental health support structures in organizations. We do tend to focus a lot on women as working mothers, and we are seeing the stats globally where women are dropping out of the workplace or reducing their hours because of this, the juggling of trying to juggle home work-life balance and being a mother and all of those kind of things. So we're seeing the effect on, on both sides of the spectrum, on women and on men as well. Okay, yeah, and men not actually owning up, or not even saying owning up, but actually probably owning it and going to see the doctor or getting the help and asking for help. They don't want to be seen as being weak, as you said, which is quite interesting. I was at a conference on the weekend. We had a topic come up about mental health, and we had two guest speakers. One was a 23-year-old lady whose father committed suicide, but she talked about the downflow effect and how it affected the whole family for now two and a half years and, and the, what they have gone through as well, and, and they had no idea. And then there's the other side whereby we had a farmer talk about what it's like. And for a lot of farmers, they, they want to be strong. They want to be okay. She'll be all right. Don't you know, harden up. You'll be okay. 
it's not. And um, they're not, they don't feel like they can say something. And so getting people around them is really important. If you are a leader in an organization and a business that you might own or in the community and somebody is possibly going through something like that, what what's your thoughts on what they should be doing to help out? So I think, first of all, as a the leader, you need to understand that mental health is health. It's not something separate to physical health and lifestyle health and mm-hmm. all these other things that we have potentially positioned um, health and wellness or well-being as, you know, eating healthy and getting exercise. Yes, that's part of it. But mental health is health. Mm-hmm. It's a daily necessity for all of us to be able to operate at our optimum And there is no one size fits all. So you need to create a culture and an environment. I call it a speak up culture versus a shut up culture. Mm. Where you have these conversations on a daily basis or a regular basis that makes it okay for people to speak up and ask for help or access the resources that you've put in place as opposed to the shut up culture, which is, you know, from a male conditioning point of view, you know, man up, toughen up, be a man, don't cry, boys don't cry, you know, those kind of stories that we constantly hear or the messaging. And for women as well, in terms of, you know, women are emotional and women are this and women are that, when that's not true. We just deal with it differently. We have different resilience levels. But if the more you make it okay to talk about it and and comfortable and Mm. normal to talk about it, just like we do with the pandemic, have you sanitized your hands? Are you wearing your mask? Are you social distancing? We talk about that every day. We should be able to do the same about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the fact that we can say something and we should say something and we should talk about it is that, A, we're actually acknowledging it and putting it out there, and then we can address it. Time and time again, we hear about people who have gone through some mental health, but we don't know what they're going through until they've actually committed suicide, and then they reveal it. And, you know, they're a smiley, happy person, you think, in front of you, and then all of a sudden, they're no longer there, and it's just difficult to see. And I think what we're seeing is that we're seeing things in, in, in the world today, which goes back to what you said before, that we will see a lot of burnout, we will see suicides. It's the it's the byproduct, if I can put it that way, of things that we're going through and we, we're putting ourselves through. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people today who are always on, as you said before, the phone, the computer, doing things. It's not always easy, is it? So um, it's going to be interesting to see where we go with this and then how we can help people out with it too, because it's something... Something we shouldn't sit back and be a bystander about. We should be in there now talking about it and doing something about it, right? Exactly. And that's where it comes back to the self point of view in terms of leading self and making my own well-being a priority for myself and being okay to put down boundaries and say no and push back. But at the same time, as Mm -hmm. organizations and leaders, we should be making that okay as part of our culture. We should be encouraging our employees to take time out and downtime. And that is some of the things that I'm seeing with those companies that are being proactive in this space. So one organization that I've been working with, they have made Wednesdays a no online meeting day. It's an offline day because it it gives you time to 
you know, work on stuff, journal, reflect, plan, process, whatever it might be, have meetings, one-on-one meetings with other people, or you'll take time out for your family, whatever it might be. But to just be offline in terms of these back-to-back Zoom meetings or, or calls that we're on all the time. And they actually also encourage it over the weekends and they actually do monitor it, but not in a negative way, in a positive way. They want to see who is always online on the weekends and then step in and provide support. Why are you online on the weekends? Is it your workload? Is there something else? How can we support you? How can we help you? Because weekends should be family time. Yep, fair enough. It should be family time. It should be time to recharge the batteries for sure. Paula, how has your business or industry changed and what demands has that put on you? So I'm definitely seeing, because it's so topical at the moment, the mental health aspect and a lot of companies reaching out to help employees with practical tips and tools to manage that work-life balance, that that elusive myth, because there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life integration. And my version of balance in my life and my lifestyle will be different to your version. So how do I find a balance that works for me and my lifestyle and my family and my needs? And to be able to put those, those boundaries and those systems and those structures in place. But sadly, something that is also not being spoken about under mental health and well-being that's had another spotlight put on it is that gender-based violence. A lot of organizations are now starting to realize that some employees are not safe working from home because they're in a toxic situation. And you cannot be talking about mental health and wellness if you are not providing support structures and information on gender-based violence as well. Yeah, and also I think we'll probably can extend a little bit further into the also with the animal, the pet at home, because uh, today I heard about whereby there's been an organization that's opened up recently and they've just done a bit of a review on how it's gone. The number of people who will not leave an abusive relationship because they're worried that if they and their kids take off, the family pet will actually brunt a lot of the actual abuse. And so they won't leave to make sure that the pet's okay. So what they've gone and done now here in this country is they've set up an area whereby the partner and the kids can go off somewhere else and to be in a safe environment. And then the pet can go somewhere else as well to be in a safe environment until they can be reunited again later on, which is really interesting to see. So you're right, I think there's a lot of this happening as well, and and we uh, it's not okay. It can't, it shouldn't happen. It's not a good thing. And we're not just talking about physical abuse. No. There would be also other kind of abuse as well, wouldn't there not? Absolutely. And again, this is where that sort of stereotyping comes in. When we hear the words gender-based violence, we often default to thinking of male and female abuse and physical and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about the other forms of abuse, which is verbal, mental, emotional, and financial abuse. And we don't talk about the other spectrums under the GBVH banner. So female on male abuse, because it does happen, and I've worked with some male survivors. We don't talk about child abuse, because with children being homeschooled, there's also, um, they're being exposed to abuse, to, to abusive situations. And also the LGBTQI spectrum, you know, it happens in that spectrum as well, not only within partners and intimate violence, but also, you know, from a from a community and a stigma and a stereotyping aspect. And then also human trafficking as well. Wow. Human trafficking. Oh, wow. That's, the, yeah, exactly. So all of those kind of things, there are different things that we can think about here, listeners, on different kinds of gender-based abuse, but it's a wide spectrum of different things as well. Paula, if there was one thing that you could change in business as a leader and entrepreneur today, what would that one thing be? 
I would say make your people your priority because your people are your business. Without your people, you don't have a business. And if your people aren't well, your business is not going to be well. Yeah, very good. And when you talk about people here, let's let's talk about employees. Has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Definitely. And I think that's one of the things that is going to be an attraction factor for organizations going forward. Because there is so much more choice now with the pandemic, we've, we're now working in borderless societies. Hmm. So we can work from anywhere to anywhere with anyone anywhere in the world, right? The world's become a lot smaller. And those companies that invest in employee wellness and support structures and um, learning opportunities are going to be able to attract talent, but also retain their talent, because that's what employees are going to be looking at, is how seriously are you taking my health and well-being, and what support structures and benefits are you putting in place from that aspect, from a lifestyle perspective, but also in terms of opportunities for me to grow as an individual, but also within the organization. Yeah, so to attract the talent, retain the talent is really important, and develop the talent. Paula, are you seeing in your country, I've seen, I know it's happening in other countries that I'm seeing as well, there is a shortage of talent. There is a shortage of people finding working. Employers can't find people. As an example, this morning, I heard whereby normally this organization will, will actually advertise a role, two to 300 people would apply. Of late, as they advertise these roles, two people are applying for the role. Are you seeing that at all in your in your country? Definitely. It's a global thing. In fact, I was listening to an interview, I think it was on BBC or CNN yesterday on this very thing in the UK where they have a shortage of, even though the unemployment rate is high, is high. And I think that is because of the support structures that aren't in place. So for example, childcare, a lot of people can't go back to work because there are no childcare um, support systems in place. So people are choosing to rather stay at home um, and do other other kinds of work or start their own thing or work online because they've got more flexibility with their hours. They can choose the hours that they want to work as well. And so definitely seeing that as a trend going forward. Yeah, the flexibility is a big thing, isn't it? It's whereby people can decide what they want to do, when they want to do it, where they want to do it, and who they want to do it with. And I think that if they're working a nine-to-five job, although most people don't work nine-to-five nowadays, if they're working a nine-to-five job and they're having to go into an office, that's one thing. But for the last year and a half, we've had to work from home, as you said. So a lot of those processes, things that we've done in the past or systems we've had in the past to help support the family and the kids and things like that are no longer there. And now we've got, we're going to find it hard to get people back into the office, which is a really interesting sort of phenomena that needs to happen. Or does it need to happen? And that's going to be really interesting to see. But I think what you're saying there, that people working online, starting to start their own things, wanting to have that flexibility is really, really important, which is quite interesting to see. You know how we talked about before that there's a fast-pacing world and it's changing? In fact, what we know is that the one constant thing in the world is change, as I said in my introduction, and probably going to be saying in my close very soon. But the thing here is that what makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think definitely a leader that genuinely cares about their people. Mm. Your people won't care until they know how much you care. Nice. Yeah, people won't care about you until they know how much you care, right? Yeah, absolutely. And people will go where they feel welcomed, but people will stay where they feel valued. Wow, that is huge. Say that again. So people will go where they feel welcome, but people will stay where they feel valued. And valued, I'm talking holistically, as an individual, 
in your personal space, um, your lifestyle, your family orientation and needs from a personal capacity, but also within the organization as well, from a culture perspective, from a team perspective, from a leadership perspective. Do I feel like I belong? Do I feel like I'm accepted for who I am? And is that embraced? And so creating a culture that is all embracing. And I think even from a family perspective too, I mean, if you think about it, if they if they're going to go to where they feel welcomed, but you know, if they're not being, if they don't feel valued as a family member or accepted of who who they are, as you just said, then that's that's going to be a problem for them. I, I love that statement. People go where they feel welcomed and stay where they feel valued. Yeah, awesome, very good. Thank you. Hey, if I get you to get your crystal ball out now and start thinking about the future, right? Where do you see leadership being in five years from now? I definitely think that leadership is going to be, people are going to be holding leaders accountable. They're going to be calling leaders out because it's starting to happen already. Yeah. And if leaders aren't walking the talk, if they're not being authentic and 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 sincere and genuine and following through on what they say they're going to do, they're going to be held accountable publicly. That's it, team. That's exactly what it is, right? Because what Paul has just shared here, listeners, is the fact that we're hearing it more and more. In fact, it's getting louder. People are wanting to call out leaders, not because they want to call out leaders, it's because leaders are not stepping up. They're not holding themselves accountable. They're not being transparent, nor are they being real, nor are they being authentic. And people are wanting leaders to be authentic, real, transparent, and accountable. And they're going to certainly ask for that a lot more, which is going to be interesting to see. So it is sort of starting now, but I think, team, over what Paul is saying over the next five years, we'll see more and more of that happening for sure. Hey, Paula, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? I'm on all the social media platforms, so you can find me on LinkedIn, and please do connect with me there. But I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and of course on my website, paulaquincy.com. Awesome. Paula, once again, thank you so much for being on our show today and sharing with us your thoughts and insights in relation to Leadership is Changing. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your family, your friends, your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if you have a question for my guests as I'm interviewing them, or a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey team, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, we would love to see you there. Once again, thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.